We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Hello, hello, John, we are back with another episode of the My Person Died Too podcast. Now it's a week since we've last had a big chat. What's been happening for you? Oh, lots of stuff. I'll let you go first. What's been happening with you, my friend? Well, you have a more interesting life at this point. (laughs) Well, I have really loved getting back into doing this podcast. And I've also been easing my way back into coaching with some beautiful clients that I have. So I guess it's been a really big thing for me because that's bringing some normalcy back into my life. And I guess it's kind of like when we're grieving, we sort of go through this period and then we gradually find little glimmers and start living again. So I can relate it to your three stages of grief. So survive, exist, live. Because first, I guess, you know, it felt like I was just surviving, you know, all my energy was going on surviving after my sickness. Then um, I was existing. So it was, it life was completely about recovering and rehab. And now I'm starting to have those glimmers of living again and I'm really enjoying it. So even though there's still a lot of medical stuff going on, you know, probably five appointments a week that I have to do rehab or medical stuff, getting back into this normal part of living again and these little glimmers of hope has felt really, really good. That's good. Part of that is getting to record the podcast with me. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite time of the week. (laughs) Good. So I've kind of been struggling this week, which we talked about um, before we press record, and I won't get into that. But the reason I'm talking about it is because you asked me how my week has been. And I'm going to tie it into some of the stuff we've been talking about on the podcast. Um, Anybody who knows me knows that as much as I love helping people with grief, that is actually not my favorite thing to work with people on. My favorite thing to work with people on is self-esteem, self-worth, the way that we treat ourselves, et cetera. So even as a coach, I fall back into the same patterns. Those things are so near and dear to my heart and they're so important. And I love coaching them so much because I have struggled with them for all of my years. And I have made so much progress that now I'm able to help clients make so much progress, but sometimes I fall back, right? And I got to go back to my toolbox and I have to get back to work, which on some level ties into what we're going to talk about today a little bit. I'll tie that in later. Tell our wonderful audience, Carolyn, what we're talking about today. Okay, John. So today we're talking about it being okay when you're grieving to change your mind. And why we decided to do this episode is because it's something that we face a lot with our clients. We have discussed this a little bit before. So when you're grieving, you often tend to think, you know, okay, my person has died. 
know what comes next. And we make decisions then right at the very start that we think are going to be permanent, like it might be, for instance, I will never sell this home that he lived in. I will never, ever get into a relationship again. And we put these permanent boundaries upon ourselves because that's how we honestly feel at the moment. However, as time goes by, we can find that, you know, our circumstances can change. And look, while that's what we're talking about, that it is okay to change your mind, we also want you to know that it's also okay if you don't change your mind, if that still feels right for you later on in your grief, that's okay too. So 100%, when we are in deep pain, it feels unbelievably permanent. Like if you are on the floor sobbing so hard and you cannot get up and you cannot stop sobbing, right? Those type of tears that like make your insides physically ache. Guess what? That feels permanent, right? It feels permanent that there will never, ever, ever be another smile or another laugh. Every day of your life, for the rest of your life, you are going to hate life. That feels permanent. Those decisions that we make early on, I will never move, feels permanent. I will never date again, feels permanent. Sometimes those things change, sometimes they don't. Grief, as we've talked about before, never fully goes away. But it does change and it does evolve and we change as humans and we evolve. The other thing that feels permanent, and this is where I'm going to tie it in to what I was talking about earlier with my struggles of the last week, my personal struggles of the last week. The other thing that feels permanent is progress. You would not believe how many times I'm sitting on a Zoom coaching call with somebody who is 11 months out and I'm happy for them, but they had a couple of good days and they're like, I think I'm done with grief. I think I'm good. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, boo-boo, boo-boo, no, yeah. no, <laughs> that's not how it works, right? So progress also feels permanent. That's right. And I often say no feeling is permanent. And I don't mean that grief isn't permanent. I believe grief stays with us. As you said, John, it will change. It will evolve over time. But no feeling is permanent. So when we're on the floor in that depth of pain that's really unbearable, like we're not like that 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives. So that's what I mean. It will change. That's not a permanent feeling that will be with us forever. Just the same as so, happiness is not permanent. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to so, cut you off, my friend. Go ahead. <laughs> so happiness is not permanent. Like we can't be happy 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives. And if we think back to, say, you know, COVID when there was, it was all new and there were so many restrictions, we couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't do anything of our normal life. And it was a bit scary. We all felt a bit scared and anxious about what what was happening in the world. And now we're living with it. So it's grief can be kind of a bit like that. It can be scary and horrible and restrictive and sad and and uh, create fear amongst us. And then as, as we get to live with it, it becomes a bit more natural. We, we carry the love forward that we have for our person as we learn how to navigate a new life without them, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, and even on a smaller level. So, you know, when Michelle first passed, obviously we had a lot of pictures in the home. She passes, I put even more pictures out, right? I was absolutely insistent that I would never move from that house. We started building that house five months before she got sick. We closed on it a month after her first surgery. And I was insistent that I was never moving. And I had a couple of friends suggest to me like, oh, well, you're going to, you know, sell the house at some point. And I got so pissed at them. I didn't necessarily show it, but I got so pissed at them because I'm thinking in my head, fuck you. This is my home that I shared with Michelle and I will live here until I die. So that type of thing evolved, that type of thinking evolved into two years after she passes, I end up putting the house on the market. And the truth is like, it was getting very expensive to do on my own. I could have stayed if I really wanted to, but I really wanted a fresh start. So on a more grand scale, we could look at the house as an example, but on even a smaller scale, let me look at the pictures, okay? So what happens when a real estate agent comes over and wants to put your house up on the market? They tell you, you have to put the pictures away, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so I knew my real estate agent, so I said, well, I'll put them away, but I'm keeping one out. So and don't tell me I can't, right? Once the house sold and we moved, I only had one picture up in the new house. And I don't even have any pictures up in the apartment I live in now. Yeah. So those are small ways that I have changed and evolved. And you know what? That's okay. Because what worked for me early on was having 4 million pictures in my home. Right now, I feel like I don't need that. And part of the reason is because of this thing. Yeah. Because anytime I'm holding up my phone, for people who can't see, anytime I want to look at a picture of Michelle, I can go to my phone or go to Facebook and she's 12 seconds away. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Oh, And I was the same. I had... Millions, well, not millions, but a lot of photos of Tony around, and I, I still do have some. I mean, you can probably see the one in my background yeah. here, but um, definitely not as many as I have. But I have a lot on my phone that I still look at whenever I feel that I need to. Now, getting back to these decisions that we make early in grief, I think a lot of it has to do with like as humans, we like to feel in control of our lives. And when someone that we love dies, whether it's suddenly and unexpectedly or whether they've had an illness, when they die, it feels like we've just completely lost control. We have no control over anything whatsoever. So I think we try and regain control by saying, okay, I am going to do this. I am going to do that. That is going to be what I'm going to do. I'm not going to change my mind. That's it. That's a forever decision. And by doing that, that kind of gives us a bit of control over yeah. the situation. So it's completely normal to do that. And as we've mentioned a bit today, like our grief changes and evolves, but our life changes and evolves too. Different life events happen happy ones, sad ones. 100%. I completely agree. Um, we are very set in our ways. And I will say something that we've already said, that's okay. 
right? That's okay. It's okay to be set in your ways, but you do have to understand that as things change and evolve, your decisions might change and evolve. But I think you had a story about a client and their move. Yeah, John, sorry. Just as you were sharing your story about your home and your decisions and how that come about, I was just going to share a story uh, about one of my clients. Now, we are sharing a few client stories today. So I just want you to know that we are changing their names. My client, Marie, was living in the marital home that she'd shared for 25 years with her husband, Ben. When Ben died, she decided she would never sell the house. Ben's life insurance had paid off the mortgage and she was financially secure. This was the home that their two sons, aged 17 and 20, had grown up in, the home where she'd lived her whole married life with Ben, a home that Ben had actually built, and together they'd worked so hard to make it just how they wanted it. About two and a half years after Ben died, Marie started coming to me for coaching. Her two boys had since moved out on their own and were living independently, and she wasn't feeling happy in the home that she and Ben had so lovingly built. But how could she ever think of selling it? So I asked her about the things that were making her feel unhappy about living there now. She said it was quiet and lonely without her boys there. The house was getting older and she was struggling to keep up with the maintenance. It was also way too big for her and getting quite costly to keep. As she lived out of town a little bit, there was no neighbours and she was starting to find it a bit scary. So she didn't know what to do. So we talked a little bit about the pros and cons of both staying in the home or selling the home. We also talked about how it was Marie's and Ben's dream to have that home. But, you know, things had changed now that Ben was no longer a physical part of her life. She thought she might have been letting Ben down if she sold the house. And we discussed how material things may no longer hold any value for Ben. However, the happiness of his family would be important. She also protested, but I told everyone I would keep it, his parents, his siblings, our kids, everyone. So we had a discussion about whether it was really their decision to make. I mean, were they living in it? Were they paying for it? Were they unhappy there? So Marie eventually came to the decision to sell the house and she got to the point where she was very comfortable with her decision. She went on to purchase a smaller home and she now feels safe and happy there. She has room for when her her boys come to visit. She has neighbours close by who she gets along really well with and the house doesn't require a lot of maintenance. She told me that she feels like a weight has been lifted off her shoulders. So it really goes to show that what you want now may not be what you want in one year, two years or five years time. It's okay to change your mind. Yeah, I have a ton of clients 
in addition to myself and in addition to that story about Marie that, you know, sell their home. I know we also have a lot of clients that do big relocations in terms of like out of state, out of country as well. Right. Um, so it's sometimes our mind doesn't just change in like incremental ways. Sometimes it changes in big old huge ways, which leads me to my next point here, which is dating. <laughs> ah. The amount of clients I have that are insistent that they will never, ever, ever date ever again. And obviously I do not push that on them because they should empower themselves to do whatever they want to do, whether that's date or not date. But then somewhere down the line, they call me and I can always tell Carolyn, oh, I can yes. always tell you can when it's, yeah, I can always tell when I have somebody who was insistent that they would never date ever again. And we get on the call and there's like this, this change in the tone of their voice. And I just know, I'm like, this motherfucker is going to talk to me about dating today, yeah. aren't they? They yeah. met somebody. <laughs> um, and again, I want to preface this by saying, sometimes it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there listening and you're, you know, six months out and just the fact that I've said dating four times is making you want to vomit. Don't get pissed off at me thinking that you're hearing me say, oh, John Polo said that I'm going to change my mind and I'm not going to change my mind. I did not say that. Sometimes it doesn't change, right? Yeah. And that's okay. No, there's no right or wrong in grief. Like, no. There's no rule book. Like it's personal decision. 100%. Um, but I think far often it does. So let me throw it to you. Tell me your personal story before we get to client. Tell me okay. your personal story with this. Okay. So I'm going to share a little bit of a different story. So it's pre-grief. So it's pre-meeting Tony. Now, okay. as I've talked about in this podcast before, my first marriage ended horribly with, you know, I was cheated on and that. So it took a long time for me to want to dip my toe back into the dating pool. And in that time, you know, I was, I'd empowered myself, you know, I was a, a strong young woman, you know, at that point I was still young and I You're was, still young. You're still <laughs> young. Young is hard. So I was really determined I am never, ever getting married again. I want to date. I want to meet someone. I will never live with them. I will have my own home. I will see them when I want to see them. You know, I'd probably be happy seeing them once or maybe twice a week on a weekend. But, you know, it's going to be my rules. No one's going to take advantage of me again and no one's going to do this to me again. So I was very strong-minded about these decisions at that point in my life. And then Tony came along. And I was a bumbling mess. Like, it's the first <laughs> time I met him, first coffee date, right. and I'm just thinking, oh, shit, I'm in trouble here. And long story short, six months later, we were living together. A couple of months after that, we were engaged. Then about um, nine months after that, we were married. And I was happier than I had ever been in my life. So that's kind of my first lesson in realizing, okay, it's okay to change my mind. Life changes. 
and I'm going to go with the flow and see what happens. Yeah. And even when you were talking about the three phases that I talk about all the time, survive first, exist second, live third. When we're talking about allowing yourself to have a change of heart, allowing yourself to evolve with your thinking, it's even with these three phases. Because when we're in that deep pain, we think we're going to be in survival phase for the rest of our life, right? We never think we're going to even exist again, let alone have a moment where we want to live again, right? Absolutely. Um, Back to dating. I mean, what I see with clients is a wide range. When this changes, again, when it changes, because it doesn't always, I see a very wide range of how and why. So sometimes people aren't looking. And sometimes they stumble upon somebody kind of like you did with Tony, right? Um, Other times they decide, okay, I know I was insistent that I would never, ever, ever date ever again. But now I think I want to find something again, right? Whether that's a fling, love, whatever it is. They come to that conclusion. We have to obviously work on any issues that are in front of them, self-esteem, fear, guilt, whatever it is. And then they go out and they pursue it. That's so true, John. And I do have another client case that I'd like to share just to demonstrate that a little bit as well. I started working with Jenny about a year after her husband, Will, died. Jenny swore that she would never repartner. She'd had 33 years with Will and she wasn't interested in any other men. She had made peace with her decision to live out the rest of her life alone. She had told me that not only did she not want to remarry or be in a relationship, she didn't even want a male companion. She said she'd been blessed with the love of her life and wouldn't even consider anyone else. Around nine months later, during a session, I noticed something different about Jenny, just like you said before, John. I mean, we're coaches, we notice these things. So I said, come on, Jenny, spill the beans. She told me that a friend of hers had introduced her to Brian, who was a widower whose wife had died two and a half years prior. The friend had figured that they had a lot in common and shared similar values. Jenny looked at me and said, but it's okay, Carolyn, I've told him my rules. It will never be anything more than a friendship. Over the next couple of months, Jenny and Brian began spending more time together. In this next particular session, I noticed even more sparkle in Jenny, and she admitted that she was happier than she'd felt for a long time. She confided in me that she was beginning to have stronger feelings towards Brian. So I asked if it was something that they talked about together, and she said, oh, no, of course not. I laid down my rules very strongly at the start and made him agree to them. I can't change my mind now. I mean, what if he doesn't want more than a friendship? I'd rather keep him as a friend than not have him in my life at all. I asked Jenny if she'd noticed any changes in Brian's behaviour towards her. She told me that he seemed very happy and comfortable when they were together and she kind of felt that they were becoming closer. I also asked her how she would feel if she didn't pursue a relationship with Brian and he met someone else 
who did want a relationship. She told me that that would be really upsetting, but she decided to wait and see if Brian says anything first. I said to her, you know, Brian is a nice guy, so he won't cross her boundaries without her permission. So we talked about many things in that session, and eventually we came up with a plan for Jenny to initiate a conversation with Brian about her feelings. Well, Jenny messaged me two days later to tell me that her and Brian had had a really deep conversation, and they realized how happy they made each other. She then told me that they were now officially in a relationship. <laughs> it's great news. I, I, was, I was so excited for her. She, she was so happy. But Jenny then went on to tell me that she had told Brian that she would never take her wedding ring off, she would never live with Brian, and she wouldn't get married. So I asked her how she knew that she would never do those things. She said, because that's my rules. I reminded her of her last rule about being in a relationship and how breaking that rule had brought her such happiness. It was a bit of an aha moment for Jenny as she realised that sometimes it is okay to change your mind and maybe it was time to see what developed naturally. So where are they now, you ask? Well, it's been almost a year since that particular coaching session and Jenny and Brian now live together in a home they bought to continue the Jenny and Brian story. And I must share that Jenny's late husband, Will, and Brian's late wife, Susan, continue to be part of their story, just in a different way. That is the type of story that you and I hear all the time, work with people on all the time. And it leads me to something else that we always tell our clients, which is step outside your comfort zone, yes, but actually smash the fuck out of your comfort zone. Okay. Oh, yeah. Once you're ready, like once you're ready to like start rebuilding yourself in your life, I'm not saying early on you have to do that. No. Okay. But once you're ready. Um, and then also to keep a really, really wide open mind. Every person that I know who has dealt with a profound loss and has rebuilt themselves, has rebuilt their life and is in a really, really, really good place right now, each and every one of them has stepped way outside their comfort zone and has kept a wide open mind. Now, sometimes when you do those two things, what you might get from the people in your life is that you've changed, right? And we can be told that for all the different reasons. We've changed because we're not funny anymore. We change because we're not fun anymore. We change because we're whatever. We've lost our religion or maybe we're more spiritual, whatever it is. We don't want to be around people. Like when we're struggling, we definitely know that people can look at us and say, We've changed. Well, no shit, Shirley. How are we not supposed to change? But also when we're rebuilding ourselves and our life, and especially if we step outside of our comfort zone and we're wide open in terms of our mindset and we're exploring things that we never thought we'd explore again, that's really going to shock the people in your life, right? Oh, um, yeah. So the more, you know, 
you begin to grow, the more people in your life, hopefully they're cheering you on. But there's also going to be a lot of them that are like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah, look, I totally agree with that, John. And I must say that pretty much I think all of the good things that have happened in my life have been when I've got out of my comfort zone. Like I was out of my comfort zone when I went on that date with Tony. I nearly turned around and didn't go to it. You know, I was out of my comfort zone when I did this first podcast episode and now I love it. So in so many areas of our life, just stepping out of that comfort zone will bring such great rewards. Every single thing that has ever happened good in my life has been been because I stepped outside my comfort zone, because I had a wide open mind, because something unexpected happened, came my way, and I embraced it instead of ran from it. Um, 100%. I'm a big, big advocate for all that type of stuff. So let's talk a little bit now about kind of traditions. And I'll use a story here, a personal story. So Michelle passed in January and sometime in November, right around her birthday is when they said like, there's no more treatment that we could try for you, you know, et cetera. So that early, um, I think it was right after Thanksgiving. I think it was black Friday. We went and we bought like her dream Christmas tree And we bought all these new ornaments and we decked it out. And she got like this, you know, snowman, like Christmas tree topper. And she was in love with that tree. I even posted a picture of it on Facebook. And I said, I think she loves this tree more than she loves me. (laughs) Um, So that was our last Christmas together. I was insistent after she died that I would put up that tree every year for the rest of my life. It was a fake tree, right? You can do that. We did it the first year. It was very difficult emotionally. We never did it again. That's another example. I made a decision. I will put up this tree every year for the rest of my life. And then as things changed, things evolved, I changed, I evolved. I listened to myself about what I want now, what I need now. And I allowed myself to make a change. Yeah, that's such a good good point, John. I know many of my traditions have changed since Tony died as well. I think it's because, as we've said so much in this episode, you know, I've changed. Obviously, my life has changed. But I think that initially I had to do more grander things to kind of like prove my love for Tony, whereas now I'm more comfortable with doing things that are, you know, personal for me and Tony, but it doesn't have to be a big grand gesture and it doesn't have to involve other people like where is initially, okay, we've got to get all these people together and we've got to honour Tony and remember him and do this and do that. That's not what it's about. It's more about me honouring him or doing things in his honour that are more suitable for me. And even so, you know, with other traditions as well, um, especially around Christmas, you know, I've got more grandkids now than when Tony died. So different traditions are born from that. So, yeah, it is ever-changing. 
Well, and I think, I know we've said this before, but I'm going to say it in a little bit of a different way now. We are a firm belief that this is how my grief feels right now. Yeah. And this is how my grief will feel for the rest of my days. Mm. And we understand why we're a firm belief with that. And some people aren't ready to hear this yet, and that's fine. I totally understand that. But for those that are ready to hear it, that's why you and I do this work. Because if you had told me, you know, two weeks, two months out, that, you know, and even in two years, four years, six years, like it continues to look different. I never, ever, ever in a million years thought any of the things Forget about the house or the dating. I never thought I would be able to smile ever again. I had made that decision. I will never smile ever again. Mm. And going back to what you said, you know, I used to have to do the grand things as well to feel close to Michelle. And there's nothing wrong with doing the grand things every day for the rest of your life. But there's a reason now why I don't have pictures up currently in the apartment. And I pull my phone out if I want to look at them. Because as things have evolved, I feel closer to her. It's like she walks with me every step of the way. And no matter what I do down here during this human experience, her love and her memory come with me everywhere I go. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And John, as you mentioned, you know, early grief is really, really hard. We can't see a way forward in most cases. So, you know, we're not saying try and step out of your comfort zone, do all these things now, because you can't rush grief. We need to find our way through it and navigate life again. But when you are ready to start exploring how life might look, moving forward into your future, I have found it really helpful to be open, like be open-minded and allow things to unfold over time. But it's also been one of my biggest challenges because, as I said before, as humans, we want to have control. We want to know what comes next. But as we know, we all know that life can change in the blink of an eye and we don't know what's around the corner. But being open to positive things coming into our life, being open to sit back and see what happens, letting life in, so letting those little glimmers of hope in can be very worthwhile. Last thing I must say on this episode, I have some clients and I love them. I do. But when we're talking about decisions they have made, they have decided that After one year, they're going to be done grieving. They come to me six, seven, eight months out. Once I hit that one year mark, John, I'm not doing this anymore. That's not how this works. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services, and other offerings, visit our websites carolingowercoaching.com and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe 
And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.